Welcome to the Let's Talk Money and More podcast with me, Leslie Thomas. The aim of the podcast is to get us all talking about money more. Talking about money is still considered to be a taboo. We don't talk about money enough. Women don't talk about money enough. And that needs to stop. In this podcast, my guests and I talk about money, mindset, and how to turn around limiting beliefs, allowing you to develop a healthy, wealthy money mindset. Our relationship with money doesn't just affect our finances, but impacts every aspect of our business. And most of all, our own sense of self-value and self-worth. By mastering your mindset, you can in turn master the money you make in your business. Welcome to the latest episode of Let's Talk Money and More with me, Leslie Thomas. Today's episode is the first of a week-long celebration of 12 months of the podcast and my decision to include male guests as part of the podcast going forward. Some would say a long overdue addition. I would reframe that as perfectly timed. Today's guest reflects the journey that I've been on over the last 12 months since the podcast was launched exactly 12 months ago today. My first episode was a solo episode. The second was my very first guest episode with Penny Power OBE. So it seems only fitting that my first male guest should be Penny's husband. Thomas Power. Thomas is a powerhouse of a man, and more than that, he is a super connector. Building community inside corporates and connecting business owners is his and Penny's focus, uniting the two, becoming the outcome. Thomas passionately believes in community led growth, supporting people to grow themselves, their health, their mind, their business, and increasingly their organization. All three of his and Penny's children support them in their endeavor of community building in three different ways. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Thomas. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Thank you for inviting me, Leslie. I'm I'm also very intrigued as to what's going to happen. So I'm going to ask you the same question as I ask all my guests. What is your money story? So presumably we can say anything at all here about our relationship with money. Anything you want to at all. Okay, so I'm one of those people who absolutely loves money. I adore it. I love the power of it, the energy of it, what it does, what it allows you to do, and... I've had uh, I've had an experience in life where I've had millions of pounds of it as well as either earned, spent, lost, remade, lost again, remade. So if I go back to my childhood, I grew up above a post office. So effectively, I lived with money uh, because we had a safe in the post office which was very uh, sensitive to touch. If you nudged it with your knee, it would set the alarm off, it set the whole building off. And uh, the post office was on the high street in Dorking, in Surrey. And so I I was with money, touching money, feeling money, around the smell of money. Um, from the age of five, when we moved into this post office, my dad bought the uh, the post office, whatever it is, the franchise, the license, whatever it is, I don't know. And uh, 
he used to he, he had a sweet shop inside the post office and um we used to pinch the sweets when we went to bed and have some <laughs> chocolates in bed and uh, he used to say he used to say the trouble with you kids is you're eating all my profits and when i was little i didn't really understand what this meant eating all the profits i wonder what profits are because i didn't i couldn't even spell obviously but it was where he he was effectively teaching me about money from a very young age and he was the saver and my mum was the spender and she liked to spend but she only liked to buy good quality things she said if you can't afford the best then don't buy it at all so i have that sort of mercedes benz m- mentality in my i like if i can't buy the best product i don't want to buy one at all uh, i don't want to buy i don't like i don't like cheap uh, products i'd rather go without uh, but my, my dad used to say to me he used to say uh, son i know you want it but do you need it i know you want it but do you need it so i had this thing in my head where my mum was the spender only buy quality it'll last forever and my dad was you don't you don't want you don't need it if you don't need it son don't don't buy it so i had this i had this relationship with money from a very early age and then i would say when did it become important in my life it was probably it was probably at the age of 16 when i was able to buy my first motorbike which i saved up for um, from from cleaning cars uh, in the street and uh, cleaning people's garages and you know helping people out basically bob a job cub scout kind of work uh, but i was able I, my father said if you want a motorbike you've got to buy it yourself because he said i don't want to buy it and have you killed on it and so my mum and dad wouldn't buy me a motorbike which i thought was a clever incentive uh, but i wanted one from the age of 16 and so I got one on my 16th birthday. I had to save up 115 pounds. It was 1980. What was it? 1980? Yeah, 1980. Uh, I even remember the person I bought it from, Aidan Verrill. Um, and I had it on my birthday. Um, and I took all the tests and exams. And I was I was free from the age of 16. Then I needed money, obviously, to power the motorbike, you know, insurance and fuel. So I joined Waitrose also on my 16th birthday um, in Dorking. And uh, effectively, that's why at 58, I've been working since the age of 16. So I've been working for 42 years. And I would say um, money money has been really important. But I would say my relationship with money has changed during that time. I didn't really know what it was at the beginning. And I do think you have to be educated in money. And that's why I do like your money mindset uh, angle that you adopt and that's why i sent you that link to gary's post mm. over the weekend because it's the yeah. first time i'd ever seen the money mindset hashtag yeah and i've been on twitter for 15 16 years and i thought oh blimey that's the first time i've seen that hashtag i better send that to leslie because i associate you with that hashtag thank you and I have i have all the bips with their own hashtag in my head you see a face i see a hashtag <laughs> but I would I would say I used to work a Thursday night, Friday night, and all day Saturday at Waitrose, and I actually loved it selling the uh, the, the delicatessen, the the cheese, the wine. I worked on the delicatessen cheese wine. I, I still love the delicatessen at Waitrose now. So do I. I absolutely love it. Um, but I I discovered a number of different things about money from doing that job, which was that um, I got paid eight pound fifty seven for that for Thursday night, Friday night, all day Saturday. So. That was enough money to put petrol in the motorbike and insure it and pay for my helmet, gloves, boots, that kind of stuff. Um, but I discovered I needed more money than that. So I needed to get money somewhere else. 
that was my first discovery that that was that was money to survive on but that wasn't money to grow on yeah uh, i was mobile i had motorbike i had i had fuel i had insurance but it wasn't i couldn't i could go places but when i got there i couldn't do anything i had no money i had no money so yeah. i couldn't i could maybe buy one drink or one sandwich but then it would be gone so it was kind of my first relationship with money and then i then i got into uh, then i also worked on, on a farm um, but one of the interesting things the experiences i had with the delicatessen a waitress because dorking is quite a, a pretty little town like farnham pretty little country town they had lots of uh, successful people coming into waitrose uh, entrepreneurs celebrities people i'd seen on tv like dan maskell who, who commented uh, at wimbledon uh, Dennis Norden, who did uh, It Will Be All Right on the Night. Uh, Virginia Wade, who was, a, relatively speaking, a famous actress back in the 70s. I never see these people at my waitrose. Why not? <laughs> so, well, they might they might be there, but... You, I just haven't spotted them. I need to look closer. But but I used to I used to learn what... They, I've got a very good memory. I'm a, a bit of a memory obsessive. So I, I would know what they wanted before they got there. And I could make it and give it to them and discover that they didn't want me to do that. They wanted me to prepare it in front of them. So I had to learn things like that. But they taught me a lot about money because um, they used to say, uh, oh, you're such a cheeky chappy. You're such a salesman. You love selling the salami and you start upselling me onto the, the cheesecake. And uh, one day you'll be running this place at, uh, at Waitrose. And I used to think, running this place, this shop? Nah, I don't want to run a shop. I know it's a big shop, but... So I, I kind of I kind of got started with my relationship with money, sort of 16, 17, 18. And then at 18, I sold my motorbike. I had, I'd had two or three motorbikes by then. I sold my motorbike, and I got 250 quid. And I went around Europe on an interrail ticket with my friends Nick and Simon, who I still see. Um, and I saw all that money disappear in a month, in, I don't know, six, eight, ten weeks. And that kind of thought, Blimey, it could have I could have had all that movement on my motorbike and I and I got and I lost it all in three months. I lost it all, I spent it all. And uh, we survived, you know, we survived in Europe for three months with 250 quid. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. And we didn't have any way to get money. I mean, uh, but I realized that you could survive with very, very little. And we used to buy a baguette and have uh, sort of a, a ham, cheese, and jam. And that would be our baguette split into three and that eat that baguette over two or three hours in the morning. And that would last all day. So learn how to be very, very, very frugal. And I would say from there, when I went to uh, when I went to college, I got a grant. I went to Croydon College. I got a grant. And that was uh, £50 a week. And uh, the rent on the room was £22.50. So I had the remaining £27.50 to live on. Bought another bike. So I, but, but I was very careful very careful with how i managed my money um and then i i got better and better jobs i got into uh, computers i got into advertising and then were i then joined uh, alan sugar uh, in brentwood and became effectively his you know run around gopher slave um but i got a proper salary in a company car and that was when i thought oh so so now i have to think about houses and and bought a couple of houses with my uh, friend mike but I, I would say I would say it's always been a, a huge, big priority to me. And I see it as an energy and a force. Then I met Penny Ross, who became Penny Power, who was uh, far, far higher performer than me in business. 
better salary, better car, better bonuses. She she's better at everything. She still is, annoyingly, she still is. Um, but she she owned her own house. She had a Mercedes, you know, she and I thought, oh blimey, you know, you could so I was very intrigued by her success. And um I wanted to uh, emulate and match that and grow with that. And you know, that's all worked out, at least for the last 34 years. <laughs> she's uh she's stuck with me. But she's uh Penny's uh she she doesn't like to take risk and I like risk. And so I discovered really my uh my love of risk when I went into business on my own at 23 with with my friends Richard and Mike who I still who I still know one of which is coming to dinner this month. Um and so I I was I as an entrepreneur you you get a different relationship with risk and uh, Alan Sugar was brutally efficient with money and taught me a lot very very focused on profit margins growth cash flow and very very organized very disciplined very good memory a uh, brut- brutally efficient person um but it obviously had scaled up from uh, from nothing essentially one, one, yeah one of one of the very few people who's who's become a billionaire from nothing Amazing. whereas the 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 silicon valley billionaire is is a financed billionaire really yeah they've mostly come from shareholder capital allowing the cushion to to build up uh, and many reasons why that's good and bad but um my my relationship with money got more and more interesting to me and when when i'd worked with uh, when i'd worked with alan sugar i met uh, ross perot and michael dell and rupert murdoch and bill gates and steve barmer and yeah you know, i met a lot of i met a lot of billionaires i sat on a lot of private jets meeting billionaires i traveled all over the world um how did that make you feel uh i was I was very motivated to be like them. And I think that very often people fall into one of two camps. They either feel inferior and a lot smaller as a result of being in that company or exactly as you've just said, really motivated and wanting to learn how they did it so they have the best chance of replicating what they have done. Yes, and I think... I've always had that burning desire to be to be like them, and I still have that now at fifty eight that I had when I was uh, when I was eighteen. But I haven't made it like them, so I I only I I look back at my self analysis and think, well, maybe I didn't have the skills, maybe I didn't have the brain power, maybe I didn't have the network, maybe whatever reason it might be, but uh, I I wasn't like them, um, but. That said, when we when we were preparing Academy for its uh, for its IPO for its flotation uh, in March two thousand, the company was going to be floated at, at sixty million pounds, and our share of that uh, would have been twenty two million pounds. And so we had a situation where we touched it for a moment, and we've had a number of situations where we've touched millions of pounds, uh, but haven't received it, but we've touched it, and that's been both. Uh, motivating and depressing because it's it's miserable to fail in business, and uh, I've I've done that a lot, probably probably more times than most people. Uh, but I've also been on fifteen boards of directors as a as a non executive director as a contributor, and I've I've seen those companies succeed and fail as well. And even in that fifteen, only two of them made it; the other thirteen didn't. Mm. So I, I realised that it wasn't necessarily to do with my ability or my skill or my desire, but a lot, of, a lot of it is to do with most companies don't make it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
and uh, the the people who do who do make it uh, to be the superstars, the Elon Musks, the Alan Sugars, the Mark Zuckerbergs, Michael Dells, and I've met many of these people face to face. They are they are brutal in the way they operate. I mean, on a scale you cannot imagine. You can't. People do not know what these kind of people are like. I've been in the room with 30 or 40 people like this many times. I know what they're like. And I pers- personally, I think if I was like that, I wouldn't have a family around me. It's very hard to be that profile and keep people around you. I th- I think as an observer looking yeah. at it. Yeah. And I put my uh, family ahead of that profile. But uh, I... I, I could have had that profile if I hadn't had a family. What do you think motivates those people who you've just described there as, you know, they're, you know, they're hugely financially successful, but they are brutal in the way they, they go about creating that. What, what is their driving force, do you think? Well, there's lots of ways you can answer that, Leslie. Mm-hmm. There's lots of ways you can answer that because... They obviously have tremendous skill, these people. They have tremendous uh, ability. They have incredible minds, incredible thinking ability, negotiating ability, work ability. They're all, all, without exception from the ones I've met, they all have incredible memories. They're all incredible negotiators, and they will treat people brutally if they have to, to win. And I mean, when I say that word brutal, I mean brutal. What's motivating them to succeed could be very simple things, the lack of a mother, the lack of a father, an unloved child, uh, no recognition, no identity. And if you, if you, look, at, if you look at people like uh, Steve Jobs at Apple, rejected by two mothers, built a church called the Church of Apple. Uh, similar similar story with uh, with Elon Musk. Um, not quite the same, but uh, the father the father wasn't there. Super bright, and I do I do think that a lot of individuals are motivated by what's what's called in Africa marasmus or love malnutrition. And I I think a lack of love as a child um, creates a creates a burning desire for for some outcome in your life. It could be success. It could be heroin. It doesn't necessarily result in billionaire. And uh, I, I received a lot of love as a child. And that, if you like, kind of weak, might have weakened my desire to be as brutal as I recognize you need to be to succeed. Um, but they, they do have innate advanced ability, and they consider they have this unique ability. And many of them do have uh, rare ability, and you look up to them for the ability that they have, the conversation they have, their think, their think power, their horsepower, their memories, their ability to negotiate, and they're all a very similar profile. And I've I've met a lot to know that not many people would have met as many of those people as me um, to see them in action. Um, but you, they're not they're not necessarily the most desirable people's company you want to be in. And that's fascinating, isn't it? Because very often from from the outside, you know, viewing this very much, you know, fr- from the outside is is a lot of us would question. We're talking, you know, multimillionaires, billionaires, and yet they they move on to the next project that they're, they're chasing the next million, the next billion, whatever it might be. A lot of us do wonder you know what what motivates them why are they now not sitting back you know on their yacht their multiple yachts enjoying 
the the success that they have grown. And it is, as you probably say, they're always looking for that thing that is missing from their life and actually is not replaceable by money, unfortunately, probably. But there's, there is something there, a burning something that they're constantly going after. Yes, I think, I mean, relatively speaking, millionaires are kittens. Um, you do you do come across brutal kittens, but relatively speaking, I've met hundreds of millionaires and they're they're generally kittens. I mean, they have a sharp side, but the because I've met billionaires, the profile difference between a billionaire and a millionaire is massive. Interesting. Absolutely yeah. massive. And they're very much they're very much against the clock of getting things done before they die. Uh, Elon Musk being a classic example. You know, he, he has he already has four companies. Now he's now he has a fifth company. Not many people choose to be a chief executive of five companies all at the same time on the same day. Yeah, um, most people would consider that foolish, but he he has that desire, that ability, that energy, that brilliance, that madness, that genius. I mean, he's like sort of what's he like? He's like sort of uh, Howard Hughes and Einstein at the same time, isn't he? he <laughs> Good analogy. Yeah, not many that- not many people are like him. And um, I'm very, I'm very fortunate. He answered one of my tweets back in 2018, so I'm very happy. I've had a reply from what I consider is the the sort of madman of the moment, whether it's Howard Hughes or Einstein. Interesting. But the people who are billionaires are always up against the clock. They're always working against the clock, trying to get things done before they die. is 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 very common. Whereas millionaire profiles are trying to reach a state of comfort for their families, their homes, their lifestyles, or second homes, or they're just they're trying to re- reach a, a comfort level, and I would fall into that category, not the not the former. Category. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I I know in you know in both of my businesses, you know, I can have a tendency to kind of go, no, you first, no, 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 you first, no, no, absolutely, you first. My husband and I have had a conversation in our property business. If we'd been more ruthless would we have one more sales and the answer without doubt is yes but we were not prepared to step over people to be one of those people that actually saw the win as more important than how we won it basically so i well, think that might be right. that you and your husband don't have that killer instinct i i i don't think i have it um I'm much more interested in my reputation and uh, the relationships that I have with people for life yeah. than I am in the money. And I think that is that sadly can translate into uh, a weakness around money. But uh, my reputation, I, I always put the put my uh, repu- the reputation and the relationship ahead of the transaction, yeah. whereas the other profiles put the transaction first. Yeah. Now that's really really interesting. Uh, and so I, I guess it. I guess it depends. I'm not. I'm not sure whether those profiles who achieve that level live in peace. I don't know whether they live in peace, but I'm. I try to live in peace and sleep well. Yeah. Um, I force, agree with you. Force myself on others in a in a financial or transactional way. No, I agree with you. Can I take you back to what you said with regards to the difference in the relationship, your thoughts and feelings that you and Penny have about money? Given And obviously, as I mentioned in the introduction, Penny was the first female guest I had onto the podcast. You are the first male guest. And Penny you know, was very open about her relationship with money and saying, you know, it was and still is something that she 
worries about. She likes to be able to have control over her money and money can the flow of money how in a relationship particularly as we know you know it's well documented that in relationships if the partners have different approaches to money that can cause problems in the relationship how have you and penny managed your different approaches and your different relationship with money yeah, that's a great question. I, I would say it comes down to the risk profile, me being a high risk profile and her being a low risk profile. So when when we, when we were operating my way, high risk profile, um, we were not as well off as when we were operating her way, low risk profile. <laughs> so I, I would say with hindsight, it, and the way we operate now is I, I do not worry about money other than the activity of doing the business I have to do. Um, but she has total control of all the money and all the assets. And I'm very happy with that. So I, if you like, have, have given over that responsibility to her. That said, that does make her worry more. Um, so I don't know whether that's necessarily a good idea, but uh, it's it's better for me to not be thinking about money because I want I prefer to focus on the business that we're building than the money um, is necessarily creating. Other than the fact it's delivering the results that we set ourselves, but um, it it works well in our relationship. It works well if she has total control of the money, and I'm very happy to give her that. I I, I notice when I'm observing other marriages and their relationship with money and how they manage it, it's different. I don't want to pick anyone out, but I I I like Penny being in control of the money. And I think you're right. I think different couples will have a different way of managing relationship and a more balanced relationship between the couple happens when there's an agreement on how the, that money, the risk is going to be balanced. It's when there isn't that transparency, there isn't that open approach, that is when the real problems occur, either really apparently or covertly which then ends up in the breakdown of the relationship. Yeah, there's a lot of, we know a lot of relationships that have failed because of covert relationships with money between either the uh, either of the, the wife or the husband. And things have gone wrong, in some cases terribly wrong, and resulted in divorce. Um, I, think it, I think it's a hard thing to manage money because it is an energy and I do think I do think when when you've got a couple like us who've had a lot of success and a lot of failure, um, had had many experiences of being at the top and many experiences of being at the bottom. Um, it changes your perception of how you manage money or deal with money or engage with money. Um, that's that said, I still love it and like creating it and connecting people around the world to achieve more of it both for them and and for us in our in the way we do it um, but i i try not to uh, fear it i try not to worry about it um i i try to rarely even think about it uh, other than through performance metrics in in pnl's balance sheets valuations share prices and so on but i am i am very fascinated by it and its its energy and its power because it's it's sort of outside the human. It exists. It exists as its own force. And when when we've seen the creation of new forms of money like Bitcoin and Ethereum and this digital money or this crypto money, whatever label you want to give to that, 
Um, I'm very intrigued by that because that's that's a new form of money that's being created inside a digital network, which doesn't fit with the currency model we've had for the last few thousand years. But I I actually think the new digital money that's been created in Bitcoin, Ethereum, et al., the many, many um, crypto profiles we now have is actually better than the old system. And I think it's better and more trusted, but it's but it's it's a fraction of the world's population who even recognizes it's there yet uh, because it's too hard to use. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of uh, distrust of institutional money, institutional assets, government money, government debt. We're constantly hearing about government debt and borrowing. Uh, I, I think money is very poorly presented to the electorate by the government or yeah. the Bank of England or the yeah. Bank or the Federal Reserve. Money is poorly communicated. Every person uh, I see in in politics and in particularly in politics and international banking, I mean government banking, I don't mean investment banking, uh, presents money in their own form. And when you look at the, uh, I have Bloomberg on in my office all the time, which is basically the money show or the money mindset show in your terms. Um, I love the fact that they they talk about money or capital or investment at the time, but I am fascinated how misleadingly different people present money and capital and wealth and debt and how they confuse and manipulate. And I like to think I really do understand capital and money and investment and business, but I'm disappointed the way government and, and central banks present it to the, uh, to the public. I agree. Uh, and I, I, don't, I, don't like, like, I don't like that side of money. Um, and I'm very intrigued by the new digital money or the crypto money or the blockchain money, whatever label yeah. you, you want to give that. I'm, I'm very interested in it. And I think it's going to be very successful. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's having challenges being born, let's say. Absolutely. You, you seem to very much, have, exactly as it should be, you seem to have either decoupled or was never coupled in the first place your relationship with money and your sense of self-worth and self-value is that a fair reflection well that's a great that's a great for oh, wow have i decoupled my because you know the, the problem very often with money and this is why i i don't like to overly use the word money mindset because it has different connotations to different people but essentially you know why i do what i do around helping people to understand their relationship with money is because actually you need to understand your relationship with yourself. You need to understand where your self-worth is at. And very often people will couple their sense of self-worth with a financial figure that they do or they don't have or they do or they don't aspire to. You seem to be very, very much firm in who Thomas Power is and money is that facilitator, that enabler in your life rather than something that you've ever been defined by. Wow. Um, I mean, that what you said sounds about right. I'm just trying to absorb all the, wa- all the words you said there. Because there's a lot of words there. <laughs> there's a lot of words there. In, in terms of self-worth, I am very happy with myself. Mm. I'm very happy inside. I'm a very happy person. And that, that's, e- that's even after having lost lots of businesses, lots of money, lots of properties, having to have rental properties. You know, I've, I'm, I'm still very happy with myself because 
I, I think I've I think I've done the best of my able ability. Um, I also think things changed in 2018 when I had bowel cancer and chemotherapy because I thought I was going to die. They said I might die. I didn't die. And I, I, I therefore treat every day as a bonus since then. And that changes your uh, relationship with money because you think, well, this this is this is this is the this might not have been the performance I set out to achieve. But this is the performance I've got. So you can only be as good as you are in reality. And if you're about the average or on the average or just above or just below the average, if you're near the average, then, okay, so you're of average ability. You're not of Elon Musk ability or Alan Sugar ability. So you're about – so I I look at that and I think, "Mm, okay, it, it might not be what I dreamed of when I was 18, but I'm still very, very happy with the family and the life I've built with them. And whilst I might not be financially independent or a, or a multimillionaire, I still I still aspire to both. And have I decoupled my self worth from from money? I, I I don't know. I I don't know. But I am I am at peace with myself mainly because I nearly lost my life in 2018, and and I've got uh, I've got all the insurances in place to mean that they're that the family I leave behind wouldn't be destitute uh, because of the uh, the life insurance but it was it was kind of a uh, it was kind of a wake up call about uh, about a relationship with lots of things with alcohol with food with money with everything really because when you think you're going out the door you analyze every part of your life and then you think well I need to change this 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 and this so I I would say I I'm I'm as ambitious today as I was when I was 18 um, I, I still all the time think about wanting to be a multimillionaire through my business, and I think about I think all the time about how we can do that. So I'd say I, th- I think about money a lot in that sense, at least how the energy can be used to create. I think of it more in terms of business value delivered as opposed to money outputted, because I think I think the income follows the audience. You know, you get you you get the result from serving the the value to the audience that you choose to provide value to. Is it decoupled? I would I would say my happiness is probably decoupled from it, but my business mind is very much embedded within it. It's coupled with it. Yeah, I don't know. No. It's such a good question, Leslie. I don't know how to really answer it. No, and you know, it, it's 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 one of those questions. I think that will it kind of it starts to percolate, and you you will probably continue to kind of almost think on it because I think. For you know, for a lot of people, once they realise that their 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 self worth is so pinned to their perceived financial success or otherwise, and are always striving but don't feel they're actually getting to that point, it's that moving goal that they can't quite grapple hold of, and therefore they're always questioning themselves in terms of. Am I able enough? Am I clever enough? Am I young enough? Am I creative enough? Am I enough? And never getting that, it's just an echo chamber. They're never getting the answer back. Yes, of course you are. You know, everything else is just nice to have. And I think once you realize you are enough, your dreams and what you go after are secondary, you drive the, the ability to achieve those dreams but those dreams are not about you finding you know your your self-worth your self-worth should always be intact first and everything else then 
just comes to you as a result of what you do and who you do it with and who you do it for, et cetera, et cetera. And I think to me, that is the biggest reason to have a better relationship with money. But actually, it's the byproduct of having a better relationship with yourself in the first I agree with that. I think you're right. I definitely agree with that. I think also, if you're at peace with yourself, your your self-worth, you communicate better to your suppliers, your shareholders, your clientele, your, your employees, whoever you work with, and you communicate more peacefully towards them. And if you want to, if you want to build long-term value, you do have to be at peace inside, which is why the the millionaires and billionaires of all these tech companies are transient. They're successful for now, and then you get another one and another one and another one because they're not really at peace inside. So there aren't there aren't many people who stick around at the top for long because of that lack of that lack of peace inside. But I would say. Um, I am I am at peace inside, but the burning desire to be more successful remains as if I was 18. Mm. So um, I also think because I've sat on so many boards of directors, 15 in my uh, in my 42 years of work, I, I've seen a lot of uh, success and failure in other companies. And I can't believe how much comes down to luck and timing. And uh, my friend in uh, Singapore, in Bali, Roger Hamilton, who talks about luck, is location, understanding, connections, and knowledge. Oh, location, understanding, connections, and knowledge. He has a <laughs> sort of a Singaporean accent. That's not very good, but my attempt. I, it was pretty good, actually. And I, I do believe location, understanding, connections, and knowledge, i.e. luck, his definition of luck. I'm not sure whether that's his or he's pinched it from a book somewhere. But I do think there's an awful lot of luck in business, and it's not talked about enough. Yeah. Um, because the tri- the right transaction, the right timing, the right person. A lot of I've I've, I've observed a lot of things, um, certainly in big tech as well, where things have happened. I thought, wow, that that must actually be luck. That and people say, oh no, it's timing, it's networking, it's this, it's. That. But but there is an awful lot of luck in success. And as a result of that, I know I know a lot of uh, very successful people who admittedly say that they were very lucky with their financial success, um, but they remain miserable and unhappy. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people like that, um, and i I don't think uh, I don't think I would be like that ever. Yeah, uh, and that's interesting because you say that a lot of people will. Say no. It, it, it was you know it was it was fortunate timing. It was hard work, etc. And don't want to say that success was down to luck. But when things go wrong, they will actually say it was unlucky. It was bad timing. It it wasn't it wasn't meant to be at that point in time. So sometimes you will want to spin the dice according to the number you want to be able to talk about. So that's that's a really interesting way to observe how people will will talk about good fortune or the opposite of it yes i think also because um, i've also suffered from depression having lost businesses um when you when you lose a business or it goes bust or you lose your home or you go bust or whatever and penny and i've been through that more than once is that you um you associate yourself with a business with a company with a with a brand and if you if you lose your uh, identity 
if you lose your connections, if you lose your appeal, if you if you go out of business, um, the recovery from that through that depression is very lengthy. And I've been through that uh, more than once, and it's very tough to come back. Um, and and coming back can take 10, 15 years in, in my case to come back from very very dark tunnels, very dark lows. And so during that time, you actually analyze your relationship with money and people and well, everything in a lot of detail. Then when you go into those dark tunnels with health reasons, with cancer, you, you do it again. And I've done, so I've done that. I've done that with losing a company, losing a property, lo- losing identity, and then doing it with health, with cancer. So there's been a lot of internal analysis on terms of self-worth and your your children give you a chance, I think, to say, well, the, these are the three little ones that came out and they've all come up and they've all got their own businesses and they're all flying along. So it might have been tough, but it wasn't that it wasn't that bad because I think your children reflect your profile. They reflect your your uh, your values, your beliefs, but they also reflect your relationship with money uh, for better or for worse. And uh, I know it, I know it's both. So I, I think when you when you analyze your your whole life, if if you're if you're going out the door and you analyze your whole life, you have to look at what's what's around you to decide on how you measure your performance, of which money is one thing. Um I I don't think the world remembers rich people, um, but they might they might remember the impact those put those people made. Yeah. But um and which whichever person whichever person you think of they you you tend to think about their when they're lost when they're gone when they've died moved on to the next place wherever that might be you you tend to think either either about their reputation or their profile or or their impact but you would rarely have any idea about their money or their assets whatever amount that was and so i i think in terms of uh impact and contribution in my case connecting an awful lot of people into positive outcomes around the world uh, in, in many different forms um that that impact and that reputation matters to me more than the money that said i still love the money yeah absolutely but i but i see it as an output of that not it, it doesn't i don't lead on that i see it yeah. as uh, like like the result of the the impact of connecting people and just to demonstrate that impact to you, um, Kate Farragher, who, for, for listeners to know, Kate and I are in Thomas's and Penny's Book 100 community. Kate shared something on Facebook yesterday, which was a, a Brené Brown interview. Um, and Brené was talking about her new book. But the bit that I took from listening to it this morning was she said, the important thing is not to control, it's to connect connection over control and you and penny came to mind as she was saying that you in particular because it's very very clear how important connection is to you you know you are known as a super connector and have the you know the biggest black book of 
anybody I have ever come across. I'm sure there is probably nobody I could I could mention that you haven't had a connection, at least one connection point with, if not several. But that must feel very rewarding to you, I would imagine, when you are known as being that super connector, but actually do put so much store by it is a genuine ripple effect that you are having when you create these connections. And for me this morning to be thinking when when Brené said, the connection over control and you and Penny embodying that, that kind of goes to demonstrate that your life work is having that real life ripple effect. Yeah, I really appreciate that, Leslie. I really do. I mean, that that is the reputation we did attempt to build um, a reputation for, for for putting community ahead of money, uh, sort of community first and commerce second, and being known as uh, relationship builders and, and super connectors and sort of business family builders. But that has translated into multi-million pounds, both on and off, successfully and in failure. So we've so that that technique, which we think is positive impact. Um, has both succeeded for us and failed for us. So it's very hard to very hard to sort of go to your grave and say, "Well, I connect to ten thousand people." Yeah, but did you have a million pound in your bank account? As they put you in the box, and I don't, I don't think you can necessarily relate these things together. But people do, people do measure your performance with money. And do they though? I think you know people. People talk about. Elon Musk is the richest man in the world, and Jeff Bezos is the second richest man in the world. Bill Gates is the third richest man in the world. But people don't talk about the John Smith is the most impactful person in the world. Susan Jones has contributed more to the world than they don't necessarily. People don't remember those names in terms of contribution or Nobel Peace Prize winners in the same way. So we still. We still worship people for their money profiles, but I think it would be, for me, much better if we remembered people for their impact profiles or their contribution profile. And- but do you do you not think, when you think of, you know, that Mary Lou, that Mary Angelou quote, um, people will remember not what you said, but the way that you made them feel. When yeah. people actually say... Um, tell me about somebody who's influenced you in your life. I wonder whether it'll continue to be that favorite teacher at school, that friend that took you to one side and put their arm around you. Will it ever be somebody saying, oh, Elon Musk, absolutely. He was the one that turned my life around. I think we are impressed by money. I think we will very often aspire to a certain part of someone's life story, but is the impact actually what they did as opposed to what they had? Uh, definitely, definitely. I mean, the the example of the teacher you give or the friend that puts her arm around or the impact Elon Musk makes, I think is obviously much greater, but we don't, we, we, we tend to talk about how rich people are. We tend to Google their net worth. Let me Google your net worth. How much are you worth? Well, you can't Google your impact. You can't Google your love score, your reputation score, or your contribution to others, be it, be it at school or at university or in the local community. You can only Google your net worth. You can't Google your impact. So the, 
we're we're obsessed with money in that mm-hmm. sense because we we see it as a measure and people who haven't achieved that level uh feel somehow uh, inadequate or not intelligent enough or not clever enough and because I would, of their lack of self-worth yeah i would rather people measure exactly yeah. people measure their performance in terms of contribution to others impact to others um love of others introductions for others than this artificial net worth number in the sky that no one remembers at all when people have died anyway whereas people do remember your contribution your your impact your introductions your that arm that arm around your shoulder or that teacher guiding you through that piece of work that you gave so um I guess that's to do with the that's to do with the profile of how we measure things. And I I changed my sort of measurement profile when I got bowel cancer and went through the chemo because the chemo is so uh, tough. Um, you you basically sit still for six months while they pump this stuff yeah, inside you. Yeah. And uh, you know all this. You'll have had many people you know have been through that. And that 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 stillness of you know, you can't even walk ten meters down the driveway because you can't because you can't do anything really. You just you're just like sat still and you can't read and you can't watch the telly and you're just sitting on your own. That with your thoughts, uh, with your thoughts. yeah. And you're in this state of um, self analysis for six months, depending on your dosage, of course. Um, it was it's kind of it's kind of bad is good. It, it gave me so much time to think about the rest of my life if I survived that um, it was, it, it's kind of like cancer and chemo it was the best thing that ever happened to me, but it was the and worst so thing. So many people to. say that though, don't they? So many people do say that whilst they wouldn't have chosen to, to have learned a life lesson, you know, in that way, actually the appreciation that they have for life and for the importance of up until that point is the small stuff it's it isn't the small stuff it very much is our health is our wealth yeah 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 absolutely yeah. Yeah. absolutely i like what you say about i'm i'm intrigued about that that question you asked about decoupling um money from self worth that's got me uh, you got me thinking on that okay. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know whether I've answered that question. I don't know whether I've answered any of your questions. To tell you the truth, I just feel like I've been wittering on about. No, not at all. And, and and very often the conversation is a stream of consciousness, and that consciousness continues afterwards. And you know that is part of the reason for this podcast is to get people actually thinking about their relationship with money, thinking about the coupling and then the decoupling of money and their self-worth, et cetera. So it's 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 a linear conversation that almost carries on, you know, with our with ourself post the interviews on the podcast. And, that- and what have you what have you heard me say where you've thought what what have I said where you've got some picture on me when you compare me, say, with uh, with Hannah or with Penny? How does it compare? You are much more relaxed about it. You are much more of a, an abundant mindset. And, and that seems to have been a, a recurring theme, essentially. You're not worried about money. You see it as an energy. You don't necessarily attach the same value to it as Penny in particular. Not so much Hannah. I think Hannah kind of straddles the two of you. I think I think Hannah has that. She, she again, sees it as an energy, absolutely. 
is you know obviously has been impacted by what happened to you and Penny with the academy, etc. But I think she she has the ability to let that go a little bit more than than Penny has so openly shared that she's been able to. But I think what will be valuable for you know for listeners is to realize that. By being open and honest with each other, you know, as as a family, as a couple, with regards to the different approaches that you have to money, then you can make your money relationship work for you. You know, I know couples, just as you've said, who have broken up as a result of they are so very removed in the way they think and feel and act with money that they just cannot continue a relationship romantically with each other. But that's because they've not necessarily been honest. They haven't spoken about it soon enough and the damage has been done. And by the time they recognize that, well, actually lots of other things have happened in their relationship as well. And I think the appreciation I have gathered, you know, during this conversation is that you are, much more relaxed about it. Your self-worth does not appear to be tied up in any of the life experiences that you have had. And that's probably because your self-worth was never defined in that way. Now, what that comes down to will be different things for different people because different experiences will will sit differently with different people. But I think the Thomas that is sitting in front of me now is somebody who is grateful for money, who is excited by money, who is respectful of money, but is also just as ambitious as he's always been, but actually has had those experiences that says it's not about the money. It's not about the chasing of the money. It's what money could represent. And I suppose there there's still a little bit of a box that you do want to have ticked to be at ease. And maybe for, for I'll ask you one last question before we finish. You've said you are um, as ambitious as you always were, as you were as an 18-year-old. Is there something that can happen where you are then able to sit back and go tick in the box, ambition mm-hmm. achieved? You mean you mean a single event, a transaction, or I don't know. Whatever that question means to you. Uh, yes, I think yes, I think there could be an event, transaction of some sort that would allow that box to be ticked. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. One of my friends, Mark, who's uh, who's who's been uh, very successful, making uh, tens of millions, um, always has a, always had a statement that he used to say uh, in his early twenties was: "The closer to the bank, the more money you make." And what he meant was the Bank of England. And in every single job he had in the city, he was always able to see the Bank of England from his window. (laughs) And he had many different roles and many different roles, but he had to to be able to see it from his window. Yeah. And uh, it turned out to be true in his case. I don't know whether that had an effect on him, his mood, his energy, like you say, his self-worth, but it, it, uh, it it definitely worked for him. But yeah, I would say... I would say there could be there could be uh, single transaction events which uh, would allow that box to be ticked. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't know when I don't know when they will occur, um, but I do think they will occur. 
And that's the abundant mindset that I think you've demonstrated today without, you know, without a shadow of a doubt. So what is next for Thomas Power? Well, I mean, we're loving uh, we're loving building the, the BIP community, as you know. We're a team of six now, and uh, we want to see it uh, turn into a global community and have uh, have more conferences, more events, more I, ideally more face to face time. Uh, much as I love Zoom and Twitter and Slack and all these systems, I still think more happens face to face. So I would like our our global community to to, to have more. Events, more conferences, lunches, dinners, breakfasts around the globe, and I would like us to when we when we reach the hundred, which will probably be what the end of next year. So it'll have taken us three and a half years. So we know it's not easy. And uh, I've done thousands of interviews, as you know, know. to try and find the right people that uh, that we can teach the sort of community mindset to uh, to government, to companies, to uh, to organisations around the world, because I. I don't. I don't think people realise that people people can only really cope with small, intimate groups, and even a hundred is a lot. You know, people have their favourite six bips or their favourite thirty bips, but but a hundred's a big number. Even a hundred's a big number, and obviously com- communities on Facebook and LinkedIn, they've got thousands of people in them, and people can't really cope with that. So I, I would like the the community mindset of small, intimate groups to become the norm. Yeah, and that's a great ambition to have, absolutely. So how can people connect with you, Thomas? Uh, they can send me a WhatsApp. My number is public on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So they can send me a WhatsApp or they can send me an email. That's, uh, again, my email is public on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, even TikTok. And don't worry, those details will be in the show notes so people can easily reach out to you. Thank you very much for your time today. I've absolutely loved the conversation, loved having the opportunity to get to know you a little bit better. Thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me, Liz. Thanks very much for listening to the latest episode of the Let's Talk Money and More podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to better understand your relationship with money, then please head to the resources section on my website, the Money Confidence Academy, and download my monthly money mindset audit. This will allow you to create a benchmark for where your relationship with money is right now and allow you to continue to measure it on a monthly basis as you do the inner work to improve it. You will also find a copy of my Money Archetypes Assessment at the same time, which will allow you to start to really understand which are your three primary money archetypes driving your relationship with money and how to use this information to make, spend, keep and invest more money. Or if you are a female online business owner, why not join my free Money Confidence community over on Facebook? A link to the group and other ways to connect with me can be found in the show notes. Finally, if you have enjoyed listening to the podcast, please do tell others about it. And I would love it if you rated it and gave a review.